Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. Thank you, ladies. My wife uh, told me this week that she'd never heard that song before. <laughs> so, anyway, maybe you have. I, I thought it was. Uh, Sometimes songs that that I asked Miss Connie to play before the message are well known, and sometimes they're not. But uh, usually, there's a good bit of thought put into finding something that goes along somewhat loosely to what we're going to be talking about. Uh, you don't have to turn here this morning, but because we're going to be back in Genesis, but. I want to start off with a passage of scripture out of the book of Lamentations, uh, which is sort of difficult to find. It's behind the book of Jeremiah. So for that reason, if you want to just listen while I read about three verses here, four verses this morning, as we get started off, continuing in the life of Joseph and, and, uh, and some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 22 through 26. Chapter 3, verse 20, starting verse 22. God's Word says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now you may recognize some of those verses. It's from that passage of Scripture where we get that old familiar hymn that we sing from time to time. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever it shall be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And he is faithful. Bible commentator John MacArthur says this about God's faithfulness. Listen to what John MacArthur said. The bedrock of our faith is the reality that God keeps all His promises according to His truthful, faithful character. The bedrock of our faith is that God keeps all His promises. And that's so true. If you remember, we've talked about over the last few weeks about the, the, the life of Joseph and that family, but we're going to kind of 
rewind a little bit. You remember God appeared to Abraham and made him a promise. In chapter 17 of Genesis, He appeared to Abraham and God made him a promise. And He said, uh, told him that He would, through all the nations, basically nations would come from Him, many, many people, and as numerous as the sand of the sea. When he was 99 years old, the Bible says, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And it says in in verse 3 of chapter 17, Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And in verse 8, The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. God made him that promise. He appeared to him and made him that promise. God also appeared to his son Isaac. Abraham's son Isaac. In the 26th chapter of Genesis, he appeared to him. And made a very similar promise to him in the 26th chapter of Genesis. Told him that the land of Canaan would be his and his descendants. And then God appeared to Jacob. And made him a very similar promise. That the land of Canaan would be his and his descendants. They would, they would possess that land. God appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob and made them all these promises. But I want us to notice something. As I, I noticed this as I kind of went through this and looking over the, the life of Joseph. God never appears to Joseph. Or at least it's not recorded for us in Scripture. Yet Joseph trusted God. He relied on God. He witnessed to others about God. Yet he never saw Him like his forefathers had seen Him physically. He told others about God even though the ups and downs of life caught Him. From the favorite son of his father with a multicolored coat. coat of many colors. He witnessed about God. He witnessed about God when he was sold into Egypt as a slave. And then when he was thrown into the dungeon, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he still told of his God and told others about what God had done. And then even when he was rescued out of that dungeon and he he gave Pharaoh's the interpretation of the dream and was elevated to prime minister of Egypt, he still gave God the glory. Whether it was up or whether it was down, he always gave all the credit and the glory and honor to God. When Pharaoh elevated him to his position as prime minister, he gave him a new name. Zaphonath Pania. It's hard to say. That simply means God speaks and he lives. How true. It can also be rendered salvation of the age. And as we'll see later, Joseph was the salvation of that age 
because all the nations of the world came to him to buy corn when the famine hit. But if we want to kind of look back at Jacob, you remember God's, God appeared to him and told him that, that he would possess the land of Canaan. But he went up and to the foreign land and worked for Laban for the hand of Rachel. He ended up coming home with two wives and ten sons. And he had Joseph and Benjamin on the way back. But they sort of lived apart from God while they were there in that foreign land. In fact, the Bible tells us that when, when God appeared to him the second time in Genesis 35, Jacob says, we're going back to where he says to go. We're going to put away our false gods and our false idols. But even then, we still see the effects of that sinful lifestyle that they led and, and being apart from God and being separated from God's promise. And we'll see that in a minute. But God had a plan in all of it. He had a purpose. And God made provisions, as we'll see, to fulfill his promise. We're going to see how this family that we've been following the last few weeks found faith and food and forgiveness in the midst of a physical famine and I would, I would submit to you a spiritual famine as well. Number one, they found faith. I want us to turn to Genesis 42. If you remember, we left off last week where Joseph had been elevated to prime minister of Egypt and, and uh, they had, Pharaoh had taken his advice and had stored up the grain for the years of plenty in preparation for the years of famine that were to come. And the famine hits. And it hits Jacob and his sons as well in Canaan. And so in chapter 42 of Genesis, verse 1 and 2, Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you, why do you just keep looking at each other? He, he continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some up for us so that we may live and not die. We've got a family here in extreme famine. It's in a dire situation. They're standing around looking at each other. As I thought about this this week, I can think about, as, as you all know, I grew up on a, on a dairy, and uh, we had some hard financial times from time to time. But my dad, when he was alive, when I was a, a teen growing up, we always used to say, Daddy could always pull a rabbit out of the hat. We might have a note due at the bank we didn't have the money to pay, and he would always find some way to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And when we finally sold out, had to sell out, he jokingly said, well, I ran out of rabbits. <laughs> so we've got this family here, and they, they're in some pretty tough situation. They're about to starve to death. And they do what so many times we do when we're in a tough spot. Standing around looking at each other, looking to other people to solve their problems when what they ought to be doing is looking up. But they were looking around at each other. What are we going to do about this? I don't know. 
Can't you do something? They should have been looking up. Psalm 55, verse 22, if you want to just jot this down. Psalm 55 and 22 says this. Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Scripture says to cast our cares upon Him. We're not to be relying on other people to take care of our needs. We need to be focused solely on what the Lord can do for us. Here's another passage of Scripture for you to jot down. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on Him. Now this family certainly had anxiety. They had 60 to 70 folks there standing around children and wives and livestock starving to death. And they knew the outcome was not going to be good unless they took action. And this is where Jacob exhibits just a small amount of simple faith. He says there in in verse 2, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Just a simple act of faith. He heard and he acted on it. Just the same way we come to the Lord. We hear the word of the Lord and we come to Him in act of simple, childlike faith. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt. And he took action to solve the problem. John 5 and verse 24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. When we hear the word of the Lord and we respond to it in simple childlike faith, that's when we can see God. I thought about in... uh, the story about Thomas, you know, one of the disciples. And after Jesus was resurrected, uh, he appeared to, to all of them except Thomas. Thomas was not there. And Thomas says, I will not believe unless I put my finger in the prints of his hands where the nails were. See the hole in his side. And that story is recounted to us in, in John chapter 20. And what did Jesus tell him? When... He presented himself to him and Thomas was able to see with his own eyes. Jesus told Thomas in verse 27 of John chapter 20, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus said this in verse 29, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We've not physically seen Jesus. But God says we're blessed because we believe, having not seen. We still still believe. So it's through that simple faith. Now the brothers... 
they're in this famine and, and so they go to buy food just to satisfy their physical need but they find oh so much more back to Genesis 42 and verse 3 then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt but Jacob did not send Benjamin Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine was in the land of Canaan also now Joseph was the governor of the land the one who sold grain to all its people so when Joseph's brothers arrived they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. He was dressed like an Egyptian, spoke by the use of an interpreter. He looked like an Egyptian. And you know, I've done this before. When you're going somewhere and you, you you don't expect to see someone. You can look right at them and not realize it's them. Because they're out of they're out of place. They're out of where you would expect them to be. And so that's that's what's happening here. These these brothers have told the told the lie that, that Joseph was no more, that he was dead so many times that they had believed their own story. So they weren't expecting to find Joseph here. But Joseph treats them roughly to test them. He wants to see if their hearts have changed. He calls them spies. In verse 13 of chapter 42, he says, uh, they say to him, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said, it's just as I told you, you're spies. He's doing all this to test them, treating them roughly. And so he comes up with the idea that one of them will go back and the other nine will stay there. But he puts them in jail for three days. And I've kind of wondered about this this week. The plan was one of them was to go back and the other nine were going to be staying. After he threw them in jail for three days, he comes back with a different plan. I'm going to keep one of you. The other nine go back. And I, and I wondered, I know Joseph pondered this and I'm sure he talked to God about this over the course of those three days. He probably thought, if I just send one back, there's no way he's going to take enough food back to feed the rest of them. I don't know. We're not told. But he comes back and says, one of you is going to stay, the other nine are going to go back. And in verse... Uh, 21, he said, the brothers are talking to themselves in Hebrew not realizing that Joseph can understand what they're saying. They didn't know who he was. They say, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. 
we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben said, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account, accounting for his blood. Verse 23, They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. And Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. Because he realized that they've changed a lot in 22 years. There's a little bit of remorse there for what they did all those years ago. And Joseph's overcome with emotion. So he lets them go back. They go back and they tell their, tell their father what all happened and how harshly he treated them and how, how the man uh, said they had to bring Benjamin back. And what did Jacob do? Oh, no, no. The last time I sent one of my boys out with y'all, he didn't come back home. We're not playing that game again. But God kept the pressure up. God had a plan. He kept the pressure of that famine on that family. And when they ran out of the little bit of grain that they had brought back, Jacob says, okay, I'm going to let him go back. But I want you to notice what Judah, Judah did. Judah stands in, he said, it's in uh, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 43. Judah said to Jacob, Send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. You know, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And he, just like Judah here, took the blame for us. bore our sins and our, and our pain that, was, that we were destined to, to receive. Jesus does that for us. Notice in verse 11 and 12, I thought this was interesting, and my radar goes up anytime I see the word myrrh. Jacob finally says, Let's, you can take him and, and, and we'll, we'll let, let him go with y'all. But he says, take the best products of the land Take the money that you receive that they put back in your sack. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. I thought it was interesting that spices and myrrh and money were taken as a gift. And we're told when, I, when Jesus was born, what, what did the, the wise men bring? Gold, precious metal, Frankincense, which is spice, and myrrh. I don't know where there's any significance there, but I, anytime I see myrrh in the scriptures, it makes the, the radar kind of go up. They get back to Egypt with their brother Benjamin. And in verse 16 of chapter 43, Joseph saw Benjamin with him, and he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. There to eat with me at noon. Now, we're told later on in that passage that the brothers were scared. They thought, we're done for. They're gone. 
they're going to get us for having that money in our sacks. So they go to the steward and they say, you know, we, 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 didn't, we didn't know the money was there. But what did the steward say? This is another clue that they should have picked up on, but they were so blinded by the guilt that was in their heart, they didn't pick up on it. The steward of the house says, your God, the God of your fathers, put the money back in your sack, gave you a blessing. He told them not to worry. And so finally, Joseph comes back in and they present him with the gifts and he asks them, how's your father that you told me about? Is this the brother that you mentioned? And he, when he saw Benjamin, his own flesh and blood, he was deeply moved and he went out and wept. Came back in, composed himself, and they sat down to eat the meal. This was another clue that they should have picked up on. They were amazed at the fact that Joseph had had them sit arranged by age. How would this Egyptian in this foreign land know to set them out in the order of their birth? But he did. But they didn't pick up on it. They were so scared, so blinded by the fact that they were sin, had sin and guilt in their heart. They, had, they dined together. He sends them on their way the next day and he tells the steward, put my cup in the youngest one's sack. And then go and pursue them once they get out of town and have the one that's got the cup come back and be my slave. He did all this to test their hearts to see if they were truly repentant. And we'll see here in just a moment that they went finding, to find food and they come back and find forgiveness. Remember, they still don't know who Joseph is. And the steward of the house goes and he, and he overtakes them and they profess their innocence. We don't have your cup. Whichever one of us has your cup will be your slave. So they lower their sacks down. Lo and behold, Benjamin's the one with the cup. Scripture says they tore their clothes and they all saddled back up and headed back to town. Joseph accuses them. He says, they say, we'll all be your slaves. No, no, just the one that had the cup. And then we see Judah's speech in chapter 44, verse 18. Judah stands up and he says, uh, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Joseph realizes here what lie they told to cover up his disappearance. For the first time he knew here what his father was told 22 years before. And reading on in verse 21, Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back, we basically told our father, and he said, go back and buy food. 
and I'm paraphrasing here, skipping on down, but he wouldn't let Benjamin go. And finally, they tell about how Jacob says, you'll bring my gray head to the ground if something happens to Benjamin. In verse 30, he says, So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Judah says, I guaranteed his safety to my father. If I don't bring him back, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. And then Judah says in verse 33, Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return back with his brothers. Judah stands in again, taking the punishment and the blame for Benjamin. And this is just too much. Joseph couldn't bear it. He sends everybody out. You know, when we confess our sins and we show a change of heart, that's when the Lord reveals Himself to us. And Joseph's about to reveal Himself to his brothers here in, in chapter 45. He says, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were so overcome with terror. He says it again. He says, come to me. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You know, when Jesus reveals Himself to us after we have laid our sins at His feet, that's when forgiveness comes. And Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me. The same as Joseph did here. Come unto me. I am Joseph. Come unto me. And Jesus does that for us when we will have a little faith and lay our sins at His feet. The Lord reveals Himself to us and says, come unto me. Is He revealing Himself to you this morning in some way? You may be in the midst of some spiritual family. There may be some sin in your life that has separated you from God. And for the first time you say, I need to lay that down. Jesus will reveal Himself to you and He says, come unto Me. Come unto Me. We sang earlier before the message about bread of heaven, feed Me till I want no more. Jesus told the uh, disciples in John 6 and verse 35, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never go hungry. 
And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus may be revealing himself to you in some way this morning. Would you come unto him? Let's bow together. Father, we're so thankful that you are the bread of life. When we rely on you, Lord, we will never go hungry and never thirst. Father, as your Holy Spirit moves among us this morning, Lord, if there be some need in someone's life and in someone's heart, Lord, I just pray that they will respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we ask you. Amen.